So, um, if you'll turn your Bible to the book of Luke, um, beginning in chapter 2. If you've, if you've been around Hope, you know that we, we pre- preach through books of the Bible, section by section. And we've been working our way through the book of Luke, and find ourselves in, in chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 36. But one of the joys for me in preaching through books of the Bible is I don't necessarily set the agenda for what we talk about. Because there are so many things that, that come up in the course of studying scripture that I think, oh wow, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of talking about that or preaching on that or, or focusing on a particular theme. And today's passage is really an example of this. So I had actually, originally when I was laying out passages to, to move us through Luke, had planned to deal with the verses that we're going to do today last week. And, and when I was getting into this passage, um, I, was, I was really struck by this theme that you'll see appear of fasting. It talks about this woman, Anna, praying and fasting for the Lord. And I thought, I don't know if I really understand very much about fasting. It wouldn't be something that would be on my agenda to, to think about, to, to preach about. Um, but So I, I decided just to take this passage in, in two weeks to focus a little bit more on this theme. But just to uh, quickly catch us up to um, date and what, what's going on in the, the passage thus far. So, I mean, we've gone through the birth narrative of Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. The shepherds um, had the angels appear to them, went down to the manger, saw the baby Jesus. Uh, but then Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the custom of Moses. And then he went with his, his mother, probably carried by his mother and father, on the 40th day up to Jerusalem, quite close to Bethlehem, for the presentation and purification at the temple. And it was something that um, all uh, families went through in ancient Israel. It was prescribed by the law. And so as Jesus, Mary, Joseph came into this temple complex in Jerusalem, you could wonder, will anybody recognize the Messiah coming into his temple, the, the Messiah who would eventually abolish even the need for the temple at all? And what Luke shows us is that these, these two individuals recognize Jesus for who he is through the guidance of the Spirit. And we looked at the first witness last week, and it was this elderly man of faith named Simeon, who sees Jesus, worships, prays, says these incredible things about his work and his mission. Uh, but then today we, we see this woman of prayer, woman of prayer and fasting named Anna. So again, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. If you look there in your Bible. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, the hour that Simeon was prophesying about Jesus, um, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of all and speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, 
And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for your your word, that it brings us uh, questions and topics and discussion that we would never have thought about ourselves, Lord. And we thank you that your word is truly living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that you would use this text and, and our time today to draw us closer to yourself, Lord. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see then the, the drama here I, I was describing. It's just this really beautiful picture of this woman, Anna, saying, finally, I see Jesus here. But we learn actually a little bit about this woman, Anna, from the text. You heard it read a moment ago. It says that she was a prophetess. So that itself is a fairly unusual title in the Bible. There's a few other women who are described as prophetesses. But we also learn that she was quite elderly. And it's a little tough to tell exactly how old she was. Um, if in my translation, the ESV that I was reading here, it says that she was 84 years old. But probably in your Bible as well, there may be a footnote that will take you out to a margin and, it, and so it's, it's either she was 84 years when, old when she met Jesus, or she had lived this life of prayer and fasting after the death of her husband for 84 years, depending on how you translate it. And so you think of the math, okay, wait, if she had lived as a widow for 84 years, that'd probably put her, I mean, people married fairly young at that time, but it would still probably put her over 100 years old. Um, and so either way, we get the idea. She's either 84 or over 100, but she's this really amazing, godly woman who has dedicated her entire life, basically, to prayer and fasting. It says that she fasted and prayed day and night, that she didn't depart from the temple. Now, there might be a bit of exaggeration in that. I mean, she, she had to eat some, I'm sure, <laughs> in the course of 84 years or 60 years, depending on how you take it. Um, she probably still went home to some extent, but this is what characterized her life. This is the, the central mission of her life, is I'm going to devote myself to prayer and to fasting. And I think that that may feel a little bit strange to us here. And it felt a little strange to me, which is why I wanted to spend more, more time on this. And I, and I think part of the reason for the, the strangeness to us is because of our lack of attention to this theme of fasting, as, especially as Protestant Christians. It's, it's not something that's talked about that often. I think we seldom hear people preach about fasting or teach about fasting. And even if it's practiced from t- time to time, I think sometimes it can be a little bit confusing or a little uncomfortable. We don't quite know what to make of it. And that's even my experience of, of prayer and fasting, that you know, there's been times in my life where I've fasted, but still, it, it hasn't been a, a huge part. It's, and it's not something that you would think, all right, if this, there's a change in my life. What am I going to do? Devote my life to fasting. That would not be on, I think, probably any of our agendas in terms of calling. And so we think, well, maybe there's something unique because she's an Old Testament believer. How do we understand this? And so really what we're going to do is just step back, use this as essentially a a, a launching pad to discuss this theme of fasting from the Bible. Why is it important? What is it? How do we do it? 
And in order to, to look at this, um, we're going to ask three questions. That first, what is fasting, according to the Bible? And then second, why do we fast? And then third, how do we fast? And, and before we, we dive into that first question, I want to just quickly say, too, that um, I was struck by the fact that the Bible talks about fasting over 77 times. Um, it actually talks about fasting more than it talks about baptism. doesn't mean it's more important than baptism, but it's a really important theme that, that doesn't get enough attention. And so the, the first question, what is fasting? And really, I think that that's an important question right off the bat to ask as we see Anna here fasting, because there are many religions, many systems that have some form of fasting or another. You can think of Islam. They, they fast during uh, the month of Ramadan. Other religions fast. You can even think of, of a secular emphasis on fasting. I mean, my, my brother started doing uh, periodic fasting or what's that? I forget even the what, intermittent fasting. Um, and, and he's been saying, oh, yeah, it's really great. It's helpful. Um, there, some people might even fast as a form of self-discipline or fast from certain things. And so is there anything unique about biblical fasting? Well, I think it, it's helpful then just to, to give a, a definition of it. Um, this is a definition from a guy named um, Donald Whitney. He has a really great book on spiritual disciplines, if you ever come across that. He deals with fasting and prayer and Bible reading and a, and a few other um, spiritual disciplines. But he says that, that fasting, biblical fasting, is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. So if you kind of pick that definition apart, is he saying that it's, it's a believer's activity? So it's not something that we're doing to, to earn God's favor. It's not some, it's, I heard somebody say it's not a hunger strike against God. But it's this response of a believer to the Lord. Um, it, it's voluntary, so it's not something that is imposed upon a believer externally, but it's something that is arising from the, from the heart. Um, it's for a spiritual purpose, that, that it's not just, okay, this is a good idea, but usually there's some sort of spiritual focus, usually in prayers we'll talk about associated with it, um, and that it says it's from abstinence from food. Now, some of you might say, well, wait a second, isn't fasting bigger than food? And that's true, that it is, the, the principle of fasting is actually way bigger than food itself. I mean, because you can think of um, the idea of, all right, cell phones are not inherently bad, but there could be an argument for occasionally saying, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fast from my cell phone because it's taking too much of my time and energy to focus on other things, and for whether it's prayer or, or something else that, that matters more. You could think of the same thing for, for sleep or or for you know, things that are in and of themselves are good, but yet we step away from for a specific purpose. And that's true, that that's a, that's a principle of fasting that a lot of things that we'll talk about of fasting apply to. But it's interesting that when the Bible at least uses the word fasting, it always means food. Um, and so you know, as we go through this, we'll focus on, on fasting from food, because that seems to be the main emphasis of, of Scripture when we think about Fasting, and so that definition that it's a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose is a good one that, that captures the, the biblical picture. But then also as you, as you look through the Bible, you see different ways that fasting is, 
is done. Um, sometimes fasting is, is abstinence from food, but not water. And that's actually probably not just sometimes, that's the norm, where you're, you're, you're not eating, but you're still drinking liquids. And, and you'll see that in many of the times that fasting is mentioned. And that makes sense because human beings can't survive very long without water. We can survive way longer without food. And going without water or without uh, hydration can actually be very dangerous. But we do see times in Scripture, though, that, that people um, abstain both from food and water. And you can think of Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was going to persecute and kill Christians. And it says that after when he was struck blind, that he didn't eat or drink for three days, that he was so overcome by the sense of his sin and, and his persecution of the church. And it, he didn't actually end the fast until the Lord sent a man named Ananias who who ministered to him and brought the, the gospel to him, and he was able to repent and, and be baptized coming out of that. So that's definitely not the norm. But then also sometimes in Scripture, fasting isn't abstaining from food altogether, but even certain foods for a time, called partial fasting. And you can think of there somebody like John the Baptist. It says that he went out into the desert and ate nothing but locust and honey and and so he, he's essentially limiting his diet for, for spiritual purposes, uh, which in a sense is a kind of, of fasting as well. But then also, as you think about fasting through Scripture, sometimes it, it can be done individually or sometimes it can be done corporately. So there's times in the Bible where an individual is moved by something and wants to pray and, and fast about it, like Anna probably in our text. But there are also times in Scripture where there's a congregational fast, where the, the church fasts together. Um, there are national fasts, maybe when people are facing persecution or they're facing invasion from the outside. And it's interesting, actually, even America has had three national fasts. And I believe the last one was declared by Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War in this response to the, to the bloodshed and the, and the violence and calling people to, to pray and, and look to the Lord. And so really, that's what fasting is, biblically, that it's a, it's a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. It can be from water and food. It can be from just food. It can be from some foods. It can be individual, corporate, congregational, or, or national. So there's, there's a lot of variation of what it looks like. And so that's the, the what. But now let's look at that, the second question of why. Why do we fast? And really, the, the main purpose behind fasting biblically is prayer. And, and you'll notice that in our text from Luke, it says that she dedicated herself to prayer and fasting. And it's almost a formula in Scripture, prayer and fasting. It's usually mentioned hand in hand because really fasting without prayer wouldn't really be biblical fasting at all, that they're, they're just inextricably linked together. And the, and the way that, that that works just experientially um, is that, I mean, we all know the, the feeling of being hungry um, and, and how, I mean, we were actually were laughing about this at Sharing Hope yesterday, that the word hangry, where you're, you're angry because you're hungry, um, or you're at, you're at work and you can't focus on what anyone's saying because you're getting hungry. Uh, we, we, we all know that, that feeling, and, and there's, there's very little as probably as uncomfortable as being hungry. 
but but what biblical fasting does is is it takes that that feeling of, of hunger, of of longing for food, and essentially it's this reminder to pray and to to focus on on the Lord. So you know your your stomach begins to growl, and you think, oh yeah, I'm hungry for food. I should pray for what I'm focusing on. Or you think, all right, I'm having trouble focusing here. All right, I'm going to to pray. Or even just the extra time that's opened up through not eating. I mean that's the times that I have fasted, I'm always amazed how much of the day is consumed with preparing food and eating food and putting food away and cleaning up after food. And so even if we desire to be dedicating ourselves to prayer, that, that there's something about that, that extra space and that extra margin in our life that comes through fasting. So the, the main purpose is prayer, but you'll probably notice within that that there is also this um, focus in our prayers that makes biblical fasting what it is. And so it's not just that, that we, we don't eat and then we just pray for whatever pops into our head, but most often in the Bible, people are fasting and praying for something very specific. And here are, here are some examples. And so if you have your Bible, you could actually turn to a few of these passages. So turn in, in your Bible to the book of Acts, Chapter 13, verse 2 to 3. Um, this is the, the beginning of the church. Uh, it's the church in Antioch. It was the first multicultural, international denomination. Not denomination, they didn't have denominations. But the, the first multicultural church that arose in Antioch. And it was before world missions, as we think about it, had really begun. And so they were, they were looking at the call of Jesus to send out missionaries throughout the world and they were so they were fasting and praying, preparing to send them out. So, so look again. Look at Acts thirteen, beginning of verse two. It says, "While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them.' Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off." So there you, you see this, this beautiful picture of the church. Uh, it's a congregational fast, so it seems like the, the church together are fasting and praying, that they're, they're seeking the Lord's guidance. They're seeking guidance in the preparation for sending out Paul, later to be Paul, and Barnabas on this first missionary journey. And through this missionary journey, I mean, it was the beginning of the, the church in the Gentile world. I mean, in a sense, because of this prayer and fasting and these missionary journeys, the Roman Empire uh, was evangelized. And in some ways, too, we even experience the fruit of that here as, as nations who have been, been brought in, that the, the seed of it started with prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord's guidance. And so that's often a purpose in biblical fasting, is, is seeking the Lord's guidance for something. It, it could be for a new job or embarking in a new ministry. It could be a new vocation, going back to school, choosing a school, entering a relationship, getting married, um, and a host of other big life decisions where we know that we don't have the resources and the ability to make the correct decision in and of ourselves. And so, so fasting, we're definitely called to pray, but sometimes it's also fitting to seek God's guidance through fasting. But let's turn now to another example of an, another 
purpose for, for fasting. And this is back in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. And so this is about the return of the exiles from Babylon. They've been in captivity for 70 years, and the Lord is bringing them back to the promised land as he promised through Jeremiah. And so Nehemiah is hearing this report of what's the condition on the ground in Jerusalem as they're returning. So look at verse 3 of Nehemiah 1. And they said to me, they're speaking to Nehemiah, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days as I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So you see that Nehemiah gets this report. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, it's in ruins, the, the people who are in the land are uh, facing shame and, and reproach. And so it's just this overwhelming emotional response of Nehemiah to this, that, that he's grieving, he says that he wept, and that he devoted himself then to fasting and prayer before the God of heaven. And I think that this is then another window into the, the purpose behind biblical fasting, or a purpose that what he sees here is essentially something that's broken that shouldn't be broken. And, and quite often, you know, we look at the world and it's not broken walls of, of Jerusalem, but we see broken realities in the world. We see broken lives, broken institutions, broken churches, broken denominations, broken countries, um, just brokenness in all sorts of ways. And so it, it's fitting if, if the Lord leads us in that direction to, to fast and to, to pray over some specific area of, of brokenness that, that really strikes us. And I actually think that that's probably part of the rationale behind Anna's fast in our passage in Luke in the temple. That she, she dedicated probably 60 years of her life to prayer and fasting because she saw the brokenness of her people. Yeah, the, the wall of Jerusalem at that point had been rebuilt. The temple had been rebuilt. But she saw spiritual legalism and lethargy. She saw oppression from the Romans and this sense of the world's not the way that it's supposed to be. And I, I long for the Messiah to come and bring, bring hope and life and, and salvation. So that is a, a purpose. But let's turn to to one more passage of Scripture that shows even another aspect to the purpose of biblical fasting. So this is going back to the book of Luke, uh, and it's Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Luke 5, 33. And they said to him, speaking to Jesus, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And so you see this this question that Jesus is facing here, that the disciples of John come to him and they say, Hey, all the other great religious leaders in our 
community and world are encouraging a lot of fasting among their disciples. We see it in John's disciples. We see it in the Pharisees. But Jesus, why is it that you are not fasting with your disciples? And in some ways, Jesus really dedicated himself to feasting (laughs) during his ministry. I mean, think his first miracle was making wine at the marriage supper in Galilee, that he was always eating and and drinking with sinners and, and tax collectors. And so they see this and say, you know, do you not believe in fasting? And then Jesus' answer here is very interesting. He says that, well, if you go to a party, if you go to a wedding, that's not the day that you're going to choose to fast. It would be rude and you wouldn't be essentially following what the spirit of the day is because it's a day of celebration. And he's saying that while I'm here with you, there's no need to fast because that the bridegroom is, is here, that this is the time to celebrate. But then at the end of that, he says, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus is saying that there will come a time when my disciples will fast, but it's not now. And so what Jesus seems to be pointing at is that part of this rationale for fasting is longing for, for God and longing for, for Christ and, and the Messiah when he is not there. And so when, when Jesus is, is with us, we will celebrate, but when he's gone, we'll fast and, and we'll pray. And, and so really then what fasting shows is this, this hunger and this longing for God, this complete and utter dependence on him to say that, that I'm here, um, I know that you're with me through your spirit and your word, but I don't see you, and, and I need you, the world needs you, the world needs your presence, and so I'm, I'm, I'm longing for you, I'm hungry for you, and I'm going to express that hunger and that longing for your presence with me in the way that is even greater for, than food, because I can survive without sp- food, but I cannot survive without your presence. And I think that even for, for Anna then, in our text from Luke, this was probably part of her rationale as well. Remember, she starts off as an Old Testament believer. She's longing for Jesus to come and to bring salvation and, and hope and, and life. So she's fasting. She's dedicating herself to this day and night in the temple. But then we see that, that she encounters the baby Jesus, and she immediately goes and starts to tell everybody who's looking for the redemption of Israel that, in a sense, then her, her fasting was over in that moment because she, had, she saw what it was that she was actually seeking, which was the presence and the, the favor of the Lord in her life, the, the hope and consolation of Israel. So that is then the, the why of fasting. Why does we fast? To pray, to seek guidance, to express grief over the broken world, to, to hunger for, for Christ and for the Lord to come into this, this broken world. And, but then I just want to wrap up then by, by looking at our, this third and, and final question. How do we fast? So to, to look at this, and we'll, we'll turn to another, another passage where Jesus casts light on this for us. So this is Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16. Jesus says, and, and when you fast, and it's interesting he says, when you fast, not if you fast, He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your 
head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And I, just as a side note, that, that last phrase where he says that your Father who sees in secret will reward you, it's almost a shocking promise, I think, for um, biblical fasting. I mean, we said that, you know, biblically we're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're not saved by, by our works, but yet he, Jesus still holds out this promise of, of reward, heavenly reward for fasting, that, the, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But the main thing that he's talking about here in this passage is, is pointing us to the, the, the manner, the how of fasting. And what he says is that we don't do it to be seen by others, to please others, to um, seem extra spiritual. It's not something that we, we post on our Facebook. Oh, you know, second day of my fast. It's going really well. That it's something that we keep between us and the Lord. And so, you know, practically that can be tough. I mean, if you actually fast, because if you're avoiding meals, people might say, well, why aren't you eating? So I think Jesus is not saying that no one can know. People will probably might know to some degree or another if you're actually fasting. But the point here that Jesus is saying is that, that we don't trumpet our fasting to the world. We don't say, look at me, look at my, my great attention to the Lord and spiritual disciplines, but we try as much as possible to keep it private between us and, and our Heavenly Father. So that is then sort of the big picture how. But then also there's a few kind of details of the how that I think are important to, to talk about. Um, and the, the, the first one is that it's probably not a good idea to fast if you're not really sure who Jesus is and, and what he did. Because in that case, fasting might turn into just an empty religious ceremony. Um, but that scripture says that we're saved by admitting we can't save ourselves, trusting in Jesus. And that that actually brings us into a relationship with God through Christ. And it's always from that position of relationship that we pursue any spiritual discipline in, in the Christian life. So whether we're reading the Bible, whether we're praying, whether we're attending church, whatever it is, and that it starts from this position of acceptance through faith in Christ, and then an outpouring of, of gratitude for his work in our life, but not, as we said, in some attempt to, to bamboozle God or to get something from him because he's given us everything in his son. But then even as we then see, though, that we are in a relationship with him through Christ, then I think that we, we have to pay attention to um, the, just the teaching of scripture on fasting. That it's, it's something we don't think about doing. I know I don't think about it enough, do it enough. But as Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. He says that when I am taken away, when I'm no longer with them and bodily, when I'm in heaven, my disciples will fast. And so it may not be Anna's 60-year dedication to prayer and fasting. Um, but it's, I think it's something that needs to be on our radar to be part of our spiritual vocabulary, um, as it were. And so then, though, if you say, okay, well, I think that that's something that I, I would be desiring to try in some way. And as we said, the, the big first step is, is, is praying and, and thinking about, okay, what is the focus of this? Uh, so it's, you're, again, you're not just going through some sort of empty motion, and it could be 
your struggle with a particular sin pattern, saying, Lord, I really want to have victory over this. Or it, it could be that, that your, your heart's really going out for a loved one or a family member who doesn't know the Lord, and you, you want to fast and, and pray for them. It could be decisions. I mean, it could even be fasting and praying for Hope Church, uh, praying for the ministry here, praying that, that people come to know the Lord here, praying that people grow here, praying that God continues to, to protect and, and build this church for his glory as he, as he has been doing, praying and fasting for, for Hope Explored. Or for, I mean, that, that, no matter what it is, there are so many ways to do it. And so it could be that you, you don't eat just for one meal or even for two meals or for a day or a few days. I wouldn't recommend 40 days and 40 nights to start off. <laughs> um, but there, there are many ways to do it. And of course, you know, take into consideration your own health. Not, it's not probably, if somebody is a, uh, certain types of diabetes and there may be ways of doing it, but you, somebody would have to be careful and make sure that they're not putting themselves in some sort of physical harm. But I do think though that, that it, one of the fears though and I was, Grace and I, my wife, were talking about this, uh, that I think some reason times, the reason we don't want to fast is because we're, we're worried that, that maybe you know, we'll, we fast, we pray for something very specific, but then God doesn't seem to show up, that uh, whatever we're praying for it doesn't seem to, to come about. And so is the time energy and energy wasted and so in some ways it feels like, well, if I don't fast and pray and it doesn't happen, then I'm sort of off the hook. Um, but then if I do fast and pray and it doesn't happen, then, then how do I think about God? And is, is, is he really good? Is he really hearing my prayer? It seems to put God on the hook in a way. Um, and I, and I, I, I think it resonates with that concern. And I think that the, the answer is actually just how we think about prayer in general. That, that God does promise in his word to work through prayer. And he promises to work through prayer and fasting in remarkable ways in his sovereign, eternal, unchangeable will that he holds before the foundation of the world. That, that he actually does use our prayers in, in powerful ways. But at his very root, though, prayer, and by extension fasting, is not some way to try to get something from God that, that he hadn't thought about in his sovereignty because he's in control. He knows what he's, he's doing. But fasting is, is saying that we are completely and utterly dependent on God, that we are more dependent on God than we are dependent on food. And if anything is at the very heart and root of what Christianity is about, it is that utter and complete dependence and saying that, that God is, is everything. And that's what it is to become a Christian, to say that I'm not independent uh, for my uh, relationship with God, for life, for salvation, but I am completely and utterly dependent on Christ in a way that is even greater than dependence on food. And so when you, when you pray about something, but then also when you fast and pray, what you're saying is that this complete dependence, and so it's a way of taking your will and your desires and aligning it to God and saying that, that what I want is... What, what you want, and my desires are, are your desires. And so it puts in a position that even if what we think it should be or turn out doesn't, doesn't be, we've already taken that step of complete dependence, which then actually takes us out of the driver's seat of life and putting the responsibility on ourselves enables us to, to truly trust and rely on God. And so that, that then is our, our big question in life is, 
Do we have that sense of dependence? Do we have that kind of hunger and thirst for God to act and to save in the world? And really, it's interesting that when when Christ left the world, um, that he could have given his church a fast to observe regularly. Um, He could have said, here's a fast. Do this as often as you you meet in remembrance of me. But what he gives us is actually a meal. And, and that he gives us the, this, this feast. And it's because, yes, fasting shows hunger for God. It shows that nothing can, can satisfy but God. It shows longing for God. But in a way, a meal also shows the same thing, but just from a different angle. Because for an Old Testament believer, what they, they were only looking forward. They were fasting and praying for a Messiah to come in the future. That was Anna in the temple. But for us, we have the privilege of looking back at Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection and also future to what he will do. And so when we fast, it's, it's done with a sense of, of hope and expectancy that is even far beyond Old Testament believers. And then even as we come to a, a meal, we're, we're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm hungry for you. I, I want you to, to fill me, to be working in my, my life. And instead of having that just in the longing, we actually have the ability to see and taste that the Lord is good, to, to taste the bread, to taste the juice that, that is good and that fills us and sustains us and points ultimately beyond itself to the sustaining power of Christ and our need and longing for him. So before we take this, this meal, though, um, let's just take a moment and... and Profess the the faith that we 